Your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome everybody. All right, we're talking about what is systemic racism? And, you know, it's just one of those hot topics these days as uh, we have moved into this year. It's becoming more and more aware through the Black Lives Matter and, and the George Floyd incident, all those wonderful things. The, this term systemic racism is suddenly being popularized, but it's also uh, shedding light on a topic that really does need to be covered. And it's interesting that if we really tackled the broad topic itself, we might be uh, leaving our police officers alone and having a little bit better, more mature dialogue on how to handle things like this. You know, we're in a world which is becoming very concerned with the issues of systemic racism. Some people are embracing the concept. Others bemoan it as a fantasy designed to make white people feel guilty. And so the perceptive is, you know, the perception is everything when it comes to this topic, you know, it's interesting because people of color are constantly used in iconic American images as objects to be admired as exotic. But long ago, uh, little pickaninny dolls were all the rage in homes of white children. Native American based objects are some of the most beloved mascots, logos and symbols and uh, in American sports. And fans love the Cleveland Indians. Still up the Washington Redskins, now it's the Washington football team, the Atlanta Braves, the Chicago Blackhawks, the Golden State Warriors, Kansas City Chiefs, and other uh, 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 similarly named schools and professional teams. And American society loves, for instance, Mexican food and sombreros and mariachi bands. But then how do they treat folks that are Mexican? You know, the image of the most desirable man is often described as tall, dark, and handsome. But tall, dark, and handsome black men are are, are, are defined as dangerous people. And uh, Asian-American traditional foods, martial arts are admired and adopted by American society, while Asian people have been seen as uh, yellow pearl uh, throughout American history. So, you know, America loves everything about us except us. And, and if you've lived in a space that has promoted the group you belong to as superior to all others, it's easy to fall into a trap of being blind uh, to the injustices that are endemic in our society. And oppressive societies create a, a duality of lived existence. On one hand, you can see your society with nothing short of boundaries, boundless love, admiration, while on the other hand, you wonder why some people criticize it. As unjust, and so you see no wrong where others never see uh, never-ending wrongs. And so, in an oppressive society, they live within a space uh, called a, a Manichean psychology. And this is described by a, a psychologist named Bullhan as a worldwide uh, worldview that divides the world into compartments, into people, into different species. And this division is based not on uh, reciprocal affirmations, but rather on irreconcilable opposites cast into good versus evil, 
you know, black and white thinking, beauty versus ugly, intelligent versus stupid, white versus black, human versus subhuman modes. And each is defined in terms of its opposite, and each derives its identity to the opposition of the other. And it is necessary to keep in line of demarcations very clear, else uh, everything collapses. So, you know, in this society, from the beginnings of colonial uh, excursions uh, 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 <laughs> by Europeans and what they called the golden age of exploration, they've spoken of the places they encountered as easily exploitable for its riches, whether they're uh, natural resources or human beings. And, and so, you know, look at what happened to the, uh, uh, in the you know, the, in the, the Indians in uh, Mexico. Uh, the, look what's happened to black people in Africa. You know, they were exploited. You know, an early Englishman wrote, these people are all black called Negroes. Now I'm quoting, uh, and without any apparel, saving before their privies. And this blackness would come to define all African people in the eyes of Europeans from what they were described as. And it become equivalent of a scarlet letter, basically, on those people before people even had a chance to get to know them. You know, the difference in color of skin would help define this psychology as it developed over centuries. And so the word black would be equated with ugliness and filth, while white would be defined as uh, cleanliness and beauty. And this distinction still plays a real role in race relations in America and in other countries where African descended people live to this day. You know, it, it's just interesting to look at that, that we need to really understand when we're looking at systemic racism, we have to look at where we came from and then define where we want to go. You know, it, it, these, these images are embedded in our psyches in many of our societies, but here in America, we're living in this wonderful blended culture, and we need to look at each other as people, and society is moving that way. However, some uh, systemic uh, systems like corporations, uh, like businesses, like families, like communities, they oftentimes have different sets of values, and these values happen to grow into systemic types of racism and it and it can really hurt i mean look at the female salaries over the years it, it, luckily it's going up but for many years women would work the same job and make less money and so you know nowadays we're getting into where the difference is getting better but it's time that people embrace people of color in a real way cultural appropriation is not what we need white people with dreadlocks butt implants, collagen-injected lips, and other things to make them feel exotic, and it's not uh, uh, really appreciated, and it's not acceptable as a form of endearment, but we want to be respected for who we are without being objectified, and so people with uh, uh, cosmetic surgery have a tendency to look like a different person, <laughs> and sometimes it's a different person of a different culture. You know, the recent uh, killing of George Floyd by a white police officer in Minneapolis really has sparked a lot of protest and unrest, and, and for many, his death exemplified the brutality of racism in America. However, the killing may in fact serve to obscure rather than expose the true character of racism. But what we have to understand is um, there's other uh, incidents and other, uh, other circumstances behind what happened there. And if you look at that in black and white, which is easy to do by the ugly pictures, 
you won't really get down to the real truth. But the real understanding is, is what people are fighting is, you know, instead of uh, Black Lives Matter is what they're really saying is we need a just and fair police force that doesn't operate off of old systemic uh, views of society and people, that we need a sense of balance. We need a sense of honesty. We need a sense of people being treated as people, not as they're seen, not as they're heard, but as who they are. And so to understand why we must first acknowledge that racism exists, you know, much like capitalism, it, it's, it, it's no mere ideology, but rather a systemic feature of our social architecture. And it's interwoven into the collective fabric by the way we have traditions and legacies and laws and myths and institutions and habits. So ideologies often integrate themselves into social systems. And so, you know, this, this process is, is like uh, how individuals learn a new skill or a new habit. You know, we, we labor continuously and intentionally to produce a new behavior. But over time, that the, the behavior becomes automatic and no longer requires us to think. And what we need to begin to do is those thoughtless thoughts, those automatic thoughts need to be rethought. And some people are lazy, and they don't want to do that. They don't want to have to adapt or adjust, especially if it's just on their own will rather than the will of people around them. And some people are very rebellious, and so they, they choose to rebel against the, the, the call for change because they don't want to change, and they don't like change. And, and so there's all kinds of, 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 of barriers that get in the way that changes things. But, uh, you know... There's this learned helplessness defined as a sense of powerlessness arising from trauma or persistent failure. And this mechanism, uh, demonstrated first in the behavior of animals, operates to neutralize a person's sense of agency. But, you know, if I can't accept pain, uh, uh, painful random shocks, whether I try or before I long give up to trying to escape, you know, it. It's you're going to have to adapt to something that keeps getting into your face. You know, the, the, the confirmation biases and other problems, and that's a tendency to interpret new evidence as confirmation of your existing beliefs. And boy, do we see that out in the media today. It's unbelievable how much lies there are. Every time you turn on the TV, the radio, the podcast, whatever, whatever. I mean, it's just out there. It's ridiculous what the media has done to itself and to our country. You know, uh, uh, our tendency to cling to our existing belief in the face of, of, of disconfirming information, once we internalize a worldwide view, we tend to notice and embrace evidence that supports it. And then we ignore and reject the data that appears to contradict it. You know, so then we think we have this new truth and we fight for that new truth as if that is the reality. But I would tell you, it's more about behavior modification when you're talking about systemic racism, because behavior modification takes time. It takes time. You have a conditioned uh, 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 action, and then you have a conditioned response. And that, that response has to change. And when you're changing a society, it's a big move, and it takes time, because it, it operates systemic racism you know, define success and good, our, our, our system as it is today, defines success and good citizenship as expressing and advancing yourself along a certain path while preventing a segment of the population from getting equal access to the same path of expression and advancement. So when those people who are not given adequate access 
to the accepted past fail to express themselves in advance, we blame them. And when they end up uh, uh, taking other unacceptable paths, we accuse them of breaking the law rather than accusing the law of having broken them. You know, just (laughs) most most uh, horrible aspect of systemic racism is uh, uh, that work of its that is done mostly in non-racist agents is how it happens. It's people that don't intend to be racist, people that don't want to be racist, but they they have created something without as much thought as they needed to have. Maybe they started a business uh, fifty years ago with all white males, and all of a sudden. You know, a new generation has to take over, and now they're moving society into a much more blended environment, but they stick with the same guidelines and the same rules that they had. Can't do that. You know, you can't do that as we emerge, uh, not not only for legal reasons, but for all kinds of different uh, reasons as far as respect of human beings. You know, if you look at anger management, there's two main routes to rage, which is what anger management's for. And, ang- and, and the biggest one, the one that, that really hits oftentimes on people is disrespect. That is one of the biggest roots to rage is disrespect. And when a person feels that they're not heard, they feel disrespected. And so it's extremely important to understand that aspect of people and, and that you are going to get rage when you don't listen to people. That's how they will react. The other route to rage is fear. And that's about 30% of the time. But 70%, it, it really is, when you think about it, how was I disrespected? That's going to tell you your hot buttons that get you to rage. You know, it's really uh, uh, it, it, informing yourself and reforming yourself and how you view things. It's important. I, I think what's interesting also is the dialogue about, you know, the police force. I think it was awful that these big cities would leave people vulnerable by cutting their police force without any strategy, without any discussion, and without any understanding of what they're going to do. So they take that money away and they re, re, redistribute it somewhere else. Well, where do you redistribute it where it's going to protect society? It's, it's crazy. Now we're moving ourselves into living like a third world country where technology is almost impossible to innovate because you're so unsafe that all you worry about is your safety. Um, and that turns you into a very primitive person and it's very traumatic. We in this country for the last year with all these protests and craziness and takeovers and, and election and lies and all the Congress, the horrible Congress that we have in this country – Oh, my gosh. And the media, the, the lying, ridiculous media that, that loves to infuriate people to sell their stuff. You know, it's incredible that that out there is is calling for the end of systemic racism when it's blatantly disrespecting an entire population and then ordering it to change. Uh, to do that is is ridiculous. To do that at, at practically gunpoint is ridiculous. You're not going to get people to cooperate that way. You have to un- teach them. You have to understand them. You have to change the institutions in a way that they govern differently so people will follow better guidelines and see the good in what is doing. You know, we're living in a global economy, you know, whether we like it or not, and that means we need to learn how to get along with everyone. You know, um, 
to look at academia and to look at, at, at the media, you know, they, they are leaning so far left because a bunch of people get in a room and decide to oust the, you know, the conservatives. That, that's ridiculous. It's prejudicial. And then they call them systemic racist. Um, you know, they, they basically label them with that. You know, this, this cancel conservatism is ridiculous and um, how they want to operate. And, and, and that's, that's the phenomenon that we're living in that's raising systemic racism. And so people look at it negatively. They see it as, as, as childish. They see it as not well thought out. And, and it's sad. But if you understand how uh, uh, um, institutions could arrive at a stable uh, uh, equilibrium without overt hostile action, then you understand as a part of social dynamics behind systemic racism, we need to be smarter, not harder, not crazy. We need to declare, you know, and really a, a true hatred for racism of all forms. And, and it, it nonetheless could end up contributing to patterns of residential, educational, employment, segregation that are left uh, the, with the average black with fewer opportunities for well-paid office working than an average white person because you have to think it through how to do that, how to build communities that are of people of all colors, how to build uh, uh, institutions with people of all backgrounds, of all colors. It's important. To be able to establish a world where if you move into a neighborhood, no matter what color you are, you're not going to change the value of the real estate. I mean, that, that's ridiculous that we live in a time and a day and an age that looks at people that way. You know, we, we need to endorse not every solution, but the wisest solutions that are well thought out and that, that use the American dream and use democracy and the voice of different people to try to form a better way to go. That's what's important. All right, we're going to take a quick, quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk more about systemic racism and how it's broken down, how we talk with children, you know, how not to be an anarchist. <laughs> come back. <laughs> Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Listen for Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young. Her show topics cover creating lasting transformation in challenging environments and how creating change can have an impact on the success of individuals from a mind, body, and spirit perspective. It's going to be inspiring and uplifting each week. So tune in on Tuesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and also listen on the Voice America Business and Influencers Channels. Transformation takes one step at a time. It's time. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. 
You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about systemic racism. You know, it's, it's, it's so interesting how the marketing uh, of different corporations and different products in this world also depend on racism. I mean, it's amazing, you know, how certain very expensive brands enhance how someone's viewed in, by their, their class of, of monetary value, what labels a person wears, what kind of clothing people wear. All those establish identity, which also means that a person wants to separate themselves in some individual way from other people, but at the same time show that they belong to a certain group of a certain set of values. And then um, by doing that, of course, people are going to for, uh, uh, form an opinion about what they're wearing or what they're, how they're acting or what how much money they have or how they use their money. And so, you know, we as individuals and as people uh, don't just walk at it, you know, in lockstep. We have our opinions and we have our points of view. So with, with systemic racism, it's not that you should ignore uh, uh, everything about people in their individuality, it's more about the idea of we treat everybody the same, that with the same respect, that they have children, they have a family, they have a wife, they have a husband, they have a, you know, whatever, but they, they have a home, they have a family, they have a life, they have friends. You know, it's important that we treat people in, in, a, in, a, in a very respectful way, uh, no matter how they present, no matter how they talk, no matter how they, they operate. You know, but some people are not going to be wise. Uh, some people are just mediocre, and that's okay, but they still deserve to be respected. You know, Rabbi Abraham Heschel stated that racism is ma- man's gravest threat to man, the maximum of hatred for the minimum of reason. And, and so racism is, a, is basically a system of power and privilege based on perceived race or ethnicity that defines one group as dominant and to a more deserving than all the other groups. And in that system, there is a dominant group, like you should say white people, and there are subordinate groups, like you may say Native Americans, Black Americans, Latin Americans, Asian Americans. But racism is rooted in historical oppression, like the genocide of of the Native Americans, black, you know, uh, uh, the enslavement of Africans, uh, the the death of the uh, massive population of Jews in Germany, such as the, those subordinate groups, where we're and are defined as inferior to the superior, and this privilege results in subordinate groups lacking access to power, to status, and to resources. So one of the most common misconceptions about racism is that it is based solely on individual acts, but many people believe that a few uh, individual bad apples are racist or engaged in racist behavior. But in fact, it is truly, uh, in our society, it's baked in, and uh, it includes schools, neighborhoods, workplaces, banks, healthcare, media, policing, you know, 
But you have to wonder, what is this term? Well, it's kind of like it's called institutional racism, which is is, is synonymous with systemic racism. And, And it's when societal institutions engage in practices that favor a dominant group and practices that are that are biased against subordinate groups. And it's important to acknowledge that that institutional racism is one dominant uh, reinforces in our institution, in our in other domains, providing a whole lot of connected systems that constantly reinforce each other while producing racial disparities across a lifespan. And it's more like it's more dangerous than individual racism because institutional racism creates environments that dictate every aspect of life for subordinate individuals. And so it dictates where a person lives, where a person attends school, what types of jobs a person's able to work, whether a person has health care, whether they have access to healthy and nutritious food, you know, and whether they have a fair criminal justice system. And so it's really important to look at our society and see where we are not effective and where we are effective and find the ways that are healthy to make the unaffected places effective and make them good for people. But here's the counterbalance, as I talked about. The the marketing in the United States, especially in, in, in the world, is based on hitting certain audiences. And those audiences are preyed upon for uh, uh, capitalist systems, and I am a capitalist, and I am, you know, part of democracy. I love that, and 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 I'm, I would tell you that the bottom line is these companies can't be successful without segregating people into uh, subgroups and into uh, an audience for whatever they're trying to sell. And so our capitalist economy really is based on uh, dividing people. And, and trying to uh, get to the certain audiences so we can make more money. And the problem with socialism and the problem with with uh, uh, communism is they want everybody to be treated the same with the same, with all the equal rights and all that stuff, which goes contradictory to the Constitution of the United States, which by its the way it's designed and by uh, promoting individualism, you know, we as human creatures segregate ourselves into groups to feel safer. And when we do that, we basically become a target. And so that's a contradictory thing. And that's a part of an ingredient of capitalism that really needs to be uh, dealt with in a way that uh, all people are treated with respect. You know, when you when you look at what uh, makes a person a racist, you know, you might want to look at some of the qualities. You know, you might actually not be a racist if others don't clearly know where you stand during a discussion. As an anti-racist, it's so important to be unequivocal in your positions. Unfortunately, culture change requires strong, clear, persistent force, and each individual contributes to that force through their words and their actions. And while the anti-racist position is clear and unequivocal, the non-racist is more often vague and silent. And so their words could be basically interpreted differently depending on the interpreter. So the phenomenon happens all the time in meetings and press conferences and formal discussions, social media. On social media, non-racists will often play a cyber uh, footsie with racists. Instead of clearly stating an oppositional view in response to an offensive comment, they carefully uh, uh, create a response that may technically support anti-racism, but uh, 
but often avoids offending the racist post party. So people play between it. And clearly they don't want to rock the boat, create tension or be disliked, but that fear quickly supersedes any purported uh, ideological value. And so the anti the anti-racist uh, person, the non-racist, often doesn't have a voice. And that's that's why we're in a society today where a lot of people are just quiet. They're quiet. They don't want to be talking to people. They don't want to be professing their points of view because people are so radicalized out there that it's scary to often state your position. So people that are non-racist or racist, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to communicate. They don't know how to navigate the waters because you never know what you're going to run into. Some, you know, asinine person that has to create a scene and 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 and, and try to wake everybody up, and they think that that's their gift to to humanity. When all they're doing is making us feel uh, more uh, scared. You know, the fortunate reality, unfortunate reality, is that laws and policing alone won't shift a corporate a societal culture. Part of what shifts a culture is social pressure, the feeling that the previously unacceptable offensive posts or actions or decisions are no longer acceptable, and, 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 and it's met with disdain and pushback. And a powerful way to create an environment of social unacceptance is being absolutely firm and unequivocal in our statements, actions, and positions uh, related to ra- racial justice. And so, to be clear... It's not my contention that anti-racists are obligated to respond to every idiot comment on social media or engage in linguistic warfare. You know, I'm personally much more judicious and protective of my time and energy. However, when responding, it's important to be clear and note that, that clarity doesn't require rudeness or aggression or, or, or hysterical behavior. You know, if you're responding to someone's offensive comment that you believe is to be, you know, bigoted in their thinking, a clear response would be, you know, look, you know, in the interest of time, I'd just like to say that I couldn't disagree with you more. And that's it. And leave it. You know, it's not your experience that, you know, that, that I have to agree with you on this topic. And, and just leave it at that. You know, that lets people think. That triggers thought. Instead of, you know, trying to jump into the soup, we need to be more wise in our society. We need to be wiser and mature in our responses and try to clear the path to make a better world for our children. And, and you might not be a racist if you're not saying or doing anything that feels uncomfortable. If you're not doing or saying anything that makes you feel uncomfortable, you're probably still languishing in the mediocrity of life and really not getting anywhere. You know, uh, uh, it doesn't mean you have to become a radical. You just have to have character and a point of view and an understanding and a respect for people that all people contribute to wisdom. All people contribute to our wisdom. We get wisdom from everywhere, every shore, every, every country, every place. Seeking wisdom from individuals is so important. And, and me as a therapist, I get wisdom from so many different people. That's what I get out of therapy. 
in serving them is I get wisdom from them and understanding from them and, and a clearer view of what the world looks like from their perspective. And oftentimes that is conflictive of the world that I've lived in. And But then it has its own reasons and its own clarity and its own logic. And oftentimes I can integrate that healthy wisdom into my own wisdom. And that's how we continue to evolve. You know, when you speak up in a meeting and question someone's assumptions or suggest changing a process, you know, those actions will likely make someone uncomfortable, but that discomfort should be embraced by respecting where they're coming from. You know, certainly we can understand where a person's opinion is or what their perception of what should be done is. It doesn't mean that we're against it. It just means that maybe we want to add to it or uh, adjudicate it into something that's more acceptable to a bigger audience. You know, some people have brilliant ideas, but the way they implement those ideas are terrible. Uh, some people are not consultative. Some people want to do everything in their own brain and just do it themselves. But the problem is they don't always think about other people. And when people start to hear new ideas, it's always uh, 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 th there's going to be assumptions that are drawn based on uh, whether I was taken into, you know, if, if you were looking out for my needs or if you were looking out for anyone else but yourself. And so, you know, by the way we express new thought, it's important for us to be respectful of other people and, and be understanding of how uh, our ideas may affect other people or be seen by other people. You know, um, if you find yourself constantly explaining, you know, people uh, who do this uh, do a lot of explaining or often doing so because their words and actions are either ambiguous or contradictory or both. And so they hide behind massive amounts of words so they can say, I didn't say that. I didn't. That's not exactly what I meant. And so they're so scared of having an idea be presented and being judged uh, that they have to be milk toast and just live behind thousands and thousands and thousands of words. And that, my friends, is called a defense mechanism. And that is somebody who doesn't want to be judged because they feel inside themselves guilt and shame for some of the thoughts and feelings that they have had. And so, you know, uh, it, 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 you, you, you also might be uh, a racist if, if you know, you're eerily comfortable with other people around you that are racist. You know, it's interesting that if you grow up in a racist society, you often become systemically racist because that's what you've learned about people. And so over time, we have to evolve into a world that may be contradictory to what we grew up with. If you have a lot of racist friends, what you're going to find yourself doing is communicating as a racist in some way because you accept them and so you know when you surround yourself with friends it's very important for you to understand that you're going to be influenced by those friends in some way and, and you have to understand that those people are going to form part of your character because you're exposing yourself to them you're having to react to them and you're having to uh, you're identifying yourself as a part of them and so people are going to respond to you when they see who you are friends with you know uh, uh, oftentimes you're going to find uh, jokes belittling other people or, or uh, microaggressions when they're clearly not doing enough you know it, 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 there's <laughs> the more oxygen you put the bigger the fire gets you know uh, laughing along with and saying nothing 
and, and changing the subject is not resistance, it's acceptance. And it sends the, 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 the message that these views are acceptable, you know. And, and so it's important that uh, we understand if we're not going to live in a world that is completely racist, if we're going to try to influence our children in our world to not be completely racist or, or racist at all, that we have to take a, 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 have an opinion, have to voice the opinion that we don't really accept that point, you know, point of view. I respect the fact that you think that way, but I don't think that way. I don't need to respond to this kind of statement. You know, if someone's saying prejudicial things, do address it, but be, be respectful and be polite. You know, it, 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 if you're not willing, most of us want comfort and security along with uh, radical values to drive change, but those don't always coexist. And actually, it's our willingness to sacrifice that clarifies our true values. While it's, uh, it's true that speaking up and challenging the status quo doesn't come without risk, but too often we engage in negative fantasies or worst-case scenarios that rarely, if ever, actually materialize. Instead, they just become a scapegoat for your complacency. And so we basically predict that something's going to be just completely awful before we get there. And by doing that, we treat it prejudicially. Like people that talk about divorce. When you talk about divorce in a marriage, you're predicting divorce. And so basically your brain's going to go, the person that's hearing divorce is going to respond to it by creating a defense of what am I going to do when this comes back up? What if this becomes a reality? And all of a sudden they have to form how they're going to operate in that space. And so that changes the dynamic of a relationship. So, you know, for the good or for the bad, uh, we react to each other, and it depends on what you're putting out there as to how you uh, respond to the world that defines how your perspective is going to be heard. You know, frayed relationships or even uh, 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 a career trajectory within an organization is going to, to uh, uh, form your character. Let's just say you go from a very harsh company uh, to all of a sudden going to a very uh, people-centered company. That's going to change your whole dynamic about how you operate and who you are. It's going to bring out the better in you because the, 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 the more humane company is going to bring out more from you, hopefully, and you're going to be more grateful for being there and not want to mess it up. All right, we're going to take another break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about some introspection. We're going to talk about talking with children and uh, and also some signs of racism in an office. That's an important thing to understand. So come back. <laughs> Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Do you wish you could avoid having difficult conversations with your kids about sex, relationships, and how to stay safe? 
Do you struggle with what and how much to say? You're not alone. Tune into Holistic Sex Ed Radio with host Robin LaCrosse for a fresh new perspective on sex education that goes beyond the birds and the bees. We gather together every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for conversations designed to improve your relationships, expand your knowledge, and give you the tools to help your kids make the most out of their lives. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about uh, systemic racism. You know, conversations about race and racism can be challenging, but they're necessary. You know, oftentimes, really well-intended people and efforts to create a, a shared understanding about the topics can really go bad due to sensitivities around the issues. And so there's, you know, some some personal actions that you can take to try to make things better and work within your environment. And and one of the first things would be to listen with an open heart and an open mind. You know, our, in general, our society has overvalued the perspective and intentions of white citizens and undervalued the perspectives and intentions and impact and the experiences of racism among minority citizens. And and because of this, marginalized groups often do not feel heard. Uh, As imitated by a a, a sociologist, uh, Robin D'Angelo, Dr. Robin D'Angelo, we have to stop, she says, emphasizing and focusing on intentions over impact. She also notes that stopping racist patterns and behaviors is more important than defending claims that one may be a racist. To move the needle, we need to abandon, and I'm still quoting her, abandon our comfort zones, challenge our assumptions, and listen with an open heart and an open mind. You know, it's often a good thing to meet people where they are. For most Americans, the the effects of racism are not well understood or appreciated, and so the context is important to manage expectations and prevent frustrations when having these conversations. So there'll be gaps in knowledge, uh, a lack of perspective when it comes to conceptualizing the the experiences of, of a person or a colleague or a friend. You know, meet people where they are if we're going to be able to have a, a, a non-racial bias. You know, also you want to commit to actions. While, while the conversation is a start, deliberate action is needed to bring about real change. So become dedicated to lifelong learning and, and seeking objective resources to better educate yourself on the history of disenfranchisement, of, of racism in our country and speak up. Even if it makes you uncomfortable or unpopular, challenge the status quo. If you aren't speaking up, you're part of the problem. You know, uh, (laughs) 
Army values call us to remain uh, dedicated to the respect of each other regardless of our differences and to have integrity and personal courage to speak out when we see those values violated. So actively seek feedback from a racially diverse group of colleagues and request their representation in decision-making spaces. And this will ensure diversity of thought and perspective and and you commit to action. (laughs) You know, um, I had a short period of time it was so interesting I was living in St. Louis and um, I was kind of in between jobs and so I was working on contract for the NAACP's uh, monthly magazine and I it was really interesting to see what people would write in their editorials and and uh, and then to have to publish them because there was there was reverse racism <laughs> in some of that stuff and so you know we all have to understand that that racism is not just a white people thing. It's it's across the board. It's all cultures and how we interact with each other. We're trying to live in a safe society of people. And so it's important that we treat each other as people. Instead of being black, white, Asian, whatever, we're here in the United States. We're just Americans. And that's just what we are. And 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 if you leave it that way, that's the way to go. Um, and we all are different. We're all individuals, and we all come from different backgrounds, and we all have different sets of wisdom. You know, you, when you're talking in conversations, you want to lead with shared values like justice, opportunity, community, equity. You know, starting with values that matter to your audience can help people hear your messages more effectively than dry facts or emotional rhetoric. You know, encouraging people to think about shared values really encourages uh, optimism and hopefulness, and and when people, uh, when this is possible, this can be a better place to start when entering tough conversations uh, than than a place of fear or anxiety. You know, opening conversations with shared values helps basically emphasize society's role in affording a fair chance to everybody. But stating conversations here does not mean avoiding discussions of race. We suggest. You know, I suggest bridging from shared values to the roles of racial equity or inclusion and fulfilling those values for all. So doing this can move people into a a basic frame of mind that's more solution oriented and it's less uh, stuck in your insecurities and in your skepticism about the uh, continued existence of discrimination. You know, it's also uh, some themes that are consistently emerge in conversations about race, particularly from those who do not want to talk about unequal opportunity or the existence of racism. Well, you know, while we probably feel like we know these narratives inside and out, it's still important to examine them, particularly to watch how they evolve and change. So the point in doing this is not to argue against each theme point by point. And I hate it when people do that. But to understand that stories are happening in people's heads when we try to start a productive conversation, you know. And so when you're trying to start a conversation, if you don't have a way of grabbing someone in some way through what you're talking about, um, you're not going to get their attention because they're still in their headspace. The idea that racism is, is largely over or dying over time. Uh, is a theme that we tend to believe, or people of color are, are obsessed with race, or alleging discrimination is racist and divisive. Well, claiming discrimination is playing the race card is is opportunistic and hypocritical, 
and also civil rights, are, are, these are thoughts, are a crutch for those who lack merit or drive. Or if we address class unequally, race and equity will take care of itself. You know, racism will always be with us, so it's a waste of time to talk about it. These are all thoughts that people have, themes that, that go on in our society that are predictive. And they don't help. They don't help because it's kind of a label where you land. And, and if you have those kind of thoughts in your head, that's where things are going to resonate with you. Otherwise, you have to open the door and understand that you can have a friend anywhere in this world if you open yourself up to wisdom. You know, too often our culture views social problems through an individual lens. And, and, and what did a person do to deserve this? in their specific condition or in their specific circumstance. But we know that history, policies, culture, many other factors beyond individual choices have gotten us to where we are today. So when we're hoping to show the existence of discrimination or racism by pointing out racially unequal conditions, it's particularly important to tell the full story that links the cause to the effect. And, you know, without this important link, some audiences can walk away believing that our healthcare, our criminal justice, our educational systems work fine, and therefore differing outcomes exist uh, for everyone. And, and so, you know, it's important to look deeper into situations, uh, you know, peeling back like the George Floyd incident. Well, he had a medical condition and he was hyped up on, on drugs, and uh, it, that also exacerbated his situation. He also resisted arrest. And so there was other things that were involved there. Did that mean that what the cop did was correct? No, it doesn't. The guy should go to prison for the rest of his life, if not, you know, the death penalty, whatever justice allows him. But what I'm trying to say is, is the bottom line is, is that behind what happened, the media didn't show the full story. And all they did was ignite people into a point of view, into hysteria and turned our society upside down, killing other people, creating anarchism, busting businesses down, killing people. I mean, it's ridiculous, all the stuff that happened because we didn't get all the facts. And that's unfortunately what our media does today. They never, ever give us all the facts. And then they turn our, psychotic, our society into this psychotic anger uh, machine, you know. After laying the groundwork for how a problem has been developed, if we're going to have a, a, a racial conversation, it's key to move quickly to solutions. Some people who understand that unequal opportunity exists may believe that nothing can be done about it, but leading to compassion, fatigue, and inaction where, wherever possible, link a description or a problem to a clear, positive solution and an action and point out who's responsible for taking that action. You know, in any communications persuasion strategy, we should recognize that different audiences need different messages and different resources. But engaging on topics about race, racism, racial injustice, it's really important. We all know that people throughout the country are in very different places when it comes to their understanding of racial justice issues and their willingness to talk about them. While white people in particular need anti-racism resources and messaging that brings them to the conversation about racism, there also exists uncertainty in experience in other groups when it comes to talking about, for instance, 
anti-black racism or stereotypes around indigenous people or anti-immigration settlements, you know, sentiments, you know, in strategizing about the audience, the goal should be to both energize the base and persuade the undecided to be more decided, be explicit about your 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 relationship between racism and equal opportunity and reverberating consequences. Many pe- people prefer to think that socioeconomic factors stand on their own, and and, and you know <laughs> that job job opportunities uh, should stand on their own, or the education system is more equitable. Well, if we're going to be equitable and if we're going to drive solutions like that, then what we have to do is understand that we look at people as people and we have the expectations that they will be people and they will respond as people and, and be good people. <laughs> so, you know, that's an interesting thing. If, if we also think about talking to kids, you know, talking to kids, every child has the right to grow up healthy, educated, safe, regardless of race, gender, socioeconomic status, you know, this, uh, the Save the Children Foundation was founded over 100 years ago to fight for universal values and children's rights. However, we also live in a society that still suffers from institutional racism. You know, so, you know, if you're committed to uh, 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 talking to children in, in a healthy way to help them adjust to society, reflect on what you know. Start with acknowledgement of, of your own beliefs your own biases, your own understandings of race, inequities, uh, inequalities, class, identity, you, you know, your lived experiences, your level of privilege, how you interpret the current events that may influence how you talk to your children about topics and take the time to educate them yourself and reflect, you know, uh, and do your research. You're not expected to be an expert, but take it upon yourself to get informed these are topics that are difficult for a variety of reasons, and they do impact our children. You know, also, you know, do your research, you, you, you know, and, and, and be clear in what you're stating and acknowledge what you don't know. That's a very important aspect to uh, understanding how to teach a child and, and limit exposure to media and social media, especially in the, the environment we're in today, and listen and encourage your child and monitor their emotions and correct misinformation if you can for them. That's an important aspect. And be a good role model and be patient and recognize what's in your power to teach them. And that, my friends, is how we raise a new society of children in a new world that we're living in. That's our show. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. I'd love to hear from you. You can do that through our webpage at voiceamerica.com, the empowerment channel. Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Now remember, if you think about our bones, we're all white on the inside. Also remember, if we could use the panda as an example of what we all should be, black, white, and Asian. (laughs) And also, does separating your laundry teach racism? Thanks for listening, everybody. (laughs) 
That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. We'll be right back.